Welcome to Faith Sermons and Studies with Pastor Joe DeVitro. Noah, a boat? What do you need a boat for? By the way, who's helping him build the boat? They are. And they're like, hey, Noah, you're crazy enough. We'll make money off of you. We'll work for you. And then the day came in which it was time to get on the boat. And the offer was offered to who? Everybody. Who got on the boat? Noah and his family. Noah and his family. Who did Noah warn for 120 years? Everyone. The time period that we're living in is a time period before Jesus Christ returned. And when Jesus Christ returns, we know that there is a judgment that's going to happen on this earth. And that judgment is a seven-year period called what? The tribulation. The tribulation is going to happen as a future event. It's a judgment on earth. Man for his sin and Israel to purify her so that when her master returns, she will be found ready, watching, and faithful. This is the whole premise of what this portion of scripture is about. Being ready, praying, being watchful, and having yourself faithful for when the master returns. Now, I mentioned this earlier, but when is Jesus going to return? His return can be at any time. There's not a single prophecy in the Bible that needs to be fulfilled before Jesus Christ returns today. But were there some things that need to be fulfilled before he came? Sure. Would Israel be a nation when he returns? Yeah. So up until 1948, it was kind of hard for that to happen, right? There was no nation Israel. Today, what do we have? A nation Israel. So, so we know that things have happened in our time periods or just before our time periods that have allowed that truth to even be more evident today than it probably was in 1913 than it was in 1776 or 1492. And the rest of you finished that in your head, didn't you? When Columbus sailed the ocean blue. The point is this, we've known that the return of Christ can be at any time. And as we go through time, we know logically it's getting closer and closer. So to say the judgment's out in the future, there's no skill in that, right? We know that to be true because all future events are where? in the future common sense but what are the signs of your coming and what's it going to be like before you come and how are we going to know the hour is near these are the three questions the disciples distinctly asked of jesus christ as they're looking at jerusalem remember they're sitting on the mount of olives they're looking across the valley and they're seeing the the wall of jerusalem they're seeing the temple they're seeing the city the old city it's all there And it says, Jesus says, one day all these buildings are going to be destroyed. And the disciples logically want to know, when's that going to happen? Is it in our lifetime? Is it it in the future? When are these things going to happen? And Jesus says, all these things will happen because I decreed them to happen. And then he begins to tell them about the signs of the times and what it's going to be like in the days in which Jesus Christ is going to return. Um to the earth and establish his kingdom. So he leaves them with a verse and it says this, therefore keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. And I want to focus on that today because that is the springboard for us to go into the narrative that we're going to look at here in just a moment. So I've entitled the message today, faithful with his talent, faithful with his talent. And why? Whose talent are we given? The masters. And we're going to see as we read the story that the master gives to his servants or those that are following, those that are watching him, those that are coming along, those that may even be serving with him. In Sunday school, we talked about this point a little bit. So you're going to see it again in this passage of scripture here. Even though somebody's following him and is called a servant of his or a disciple of his does not necessarily mean that they're going to live in heaven. And it's not going to become any more evident than the portion of scripture that we're going to read today. Also, we know in the Bible, it says in Matthew, what? In that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not do this and that in thy name? And Jesus says, depart from me. I, I don't know who you are. You're not in my family. Your name is not in my book. I don't know who you are. Even though you claim to be mine, you're an illegitimate child. You're, you're not mine. 
So this portion of scripture is going to declare something very similar to what we're just talking about there. So when we dwell on the promise that Jesus will one day return, I wonder if that doesn't in some way, I know it instills hope in people, right? We all know that Jesus is coming. Amen. So why are we afraid? In almost all of us, there's an element of fear that if he does return, that means something, right? What's that mean for your unsaved family, family and friends? What does that mean for your bucket list items you've never yet got to? What, what does that mean for, you see, while part of us wants to jump and say, yes, Lord, come. There's another side of us like, whoa, that's kind of freaky. I don't know that I'm ready for that. There's a little fear that the judgment of the master will be less than impressed about how we've used the life that he's given us to this point. Maybe we've served ourselves more than we've been serving him. And like, uh, Lord, at the end of my life, I was going to turn it all around for you. And, and if you come early, then it's not good for me. It doesn't work in my timeline. Maybe he's going to be little impressed about how we served him on earth. And upon our conversion, we were not only adopted and sealed by the Holy Spirit as children of God, but we were also given something as believers. We were given something that Jesus expects a return on. He expects to see us use the talent that he gave us, and he expects it to be done according to his divine will. And uh, so that's what I want to look at this morning to our shame, often when Christ comes knocking at our heart's door to serve in his kingdom, many times we refuse. Some people say, well, not right now. I got things that I need to do. Or there are things that I'm doing right now that are more important, God, than where, how you want me to serve or where you want me to serve right now. Or one day when I have more time, then I'll serve God more. And, and we say things to this effect. And in the process of doing that, we begin to justify why we don't want to use our talent for God. Now, we could talk about talent being spiritual gifts. And while that would be an application of other portions of Scripture, the word talent used here in this portion is not talking about spiritual gifts. It's not using our, our talent and time for the Lord in a way of using, like, say, prophecy or some gift of the Holy Spirit. Because in Matthew 25, as the Holy Spirit yet indwelled people. So they would not have the gifts of the Spirit. You would have the coming upon of the Spirit for a specific purpose, for a specific task, for a specific ability to do something or teaching. But in Acts chapter 2, we have the filling of the Holy Spirit inside of mankind. So the talent that is issued here is something different than what we would equate it to in the church age. And we'd say, you got to use your talents for the Lord. So if you're a Sunday school teacher, you should be teaching Sunday school. If you're, if you've got the ability to do things, then you should be doing those things for the Lord. And, and if you don't do it, who's going to? Okay. There's, there's other portions of the Bible. We can apply that, but to try to force that into this text is disingenuous. Because Jesus is talking about what event is about to happen. The rapture. And he's saying, when I come, I'm going to remove people. When I remove them, then the tribulation's going to start. Israel's going to be purified. And when you see the abomination of desolation of Daniel occur, we know that's Daniel 7. And when you see that occur, then you understand the time that you're living in. And some will flee to the hills and some will be taken and some will be killed and some will survive and, and pray that it's not winter and all these things that Jesus goes off into. So how many Sunday school classes are going to be held during that time period? And, and, and if people are being killed and people are, are doing all these things, then why not just heal them? Why not just do all these wonderful things? Because they're not things at the time in which Jesus is talking about here. Now, I know in the future events, these events are taking place in the church age, so the sign and wonder gifts and things like that, you could argue, would be there. But that's not the talent Jesus is talking about. That's my point. While that might be true and they might be evident there, Jesus is talking about something way more specific, something that can be invested in and reduplicated. Now, we understand money, right? But the topic here isn't money either. Because how much money are you going to take with you at the rapture? Man brought nothing into the world, and surely you will take. So while you might see a hearse pull a U-Haul, 
the U-Haul remains at the cemetery, the person is no longer there with it. So let's dig into the portion of scripture here this morning. Let's start at verse 14. And we're going to read verses 14 through 18. And I want to propose to you that God is looking for us to use something in a faithful way. He uses the word talent. And he uses the word faithfulness together all through the narrative that we're going to read here. So I want you to be thinking how in the world or what talent would you have that you could faithfully use that would reduplicate? Okay, because that's the whole story here. So let's look at it. First thing I want you to see is everyone is given an incredible talent. Okay, look at verse 14 with me. It says, for, I will, for it will be like a man going on a journey who has called his servants and entrusted them to his property. To one he gives five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his, say it together. So there's, there's a tiered system here, right? The master understands their ability. Then he went away and he who had received five talents went at once, started a business and made five talents more. So also he who had two talents went and started a business and made two talents more. And when he who had received one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. So we have two entrepreneurs and we got another guy who's going to hold what his master gave him, right? That's, that's basically what we have. So the first thing I want you to see in these verses is that each of the servants were given talents according to what? Their abilities. Now the guy who got 10 versus the guy who got five. What is their name according to the master? What are they called? Servant. Right? They're called a servant. So he's not rating them based on their responsibility level, like, like their title or something like that. He's rating them based on their abilities. Right? So that's going to be an important feature to understand as we go ahead here. Every Christian that is alive today has been given a talent. What talent has God given to you if you're a Christian? The gospel. What is it that we can be faithful with and that if we're faithful with it, will multiply itself for the kingdom of God? The gospel. And if the talent in the portion of scripture here is the gospel and Jesus is teaching about judgment that is coming, would it make more sense for him to be talking about spiritual gifts? Money or the gospel? It makes sense to be the gospel, wouldn't it? Because if judgment's coming, how do you escape the judgment? You got to be a child of God. The only way to escape the judgment is to be a child of God. And Jesus is, remember they're asking, what is going to be the sign of your coming? And what is, what is it going to look like when these things happen? Now, a couple things have not happened yet that have happened since Jesus spoke these words. Number one, Jesus has not yet sacrificed himself as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So the disciples are hearing this and they're looking at what's going on and they're saying, how can these things be? That's fair, isn't it? How can that be? But what has Jesus been teaching them the whole time? The Son of Man came into the world that he might give his life as a ransom for many, that he might die for the sins of many. The Son of Man came not to seek himself, but to give himself as a ransom for many. So the whole time he's been teaching them, I came to die so that others can live. What, is the good, what makes the good news the good news? The bad news is we were all born sinners apart from God. That's bad news. That means if you've committed one sin, you're guilty of how many sin? What does all mean? All means all, Right? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23. But then, 3.23. 6.23 is where I want to go. Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23. For the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is through who? By means of who? Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ himself, speaking in this passage, how many have read letter Bible? I love, I love like Matthew 24 and 25 are all read in your Bible, except for like three verses. Introduce the passage and to close the passage out. It's all the words of Jesus here. This is Jesus sharing with his creation, with his disciples specifically, what the world's going to be like before he comes. And he says, this is what it's going to be like. 
It's going to be like a time in which I've given to you talents and those talents I expect to get a return on. Why does the church exist today? To share the gospel and to grow together in faith and unity and, until the Lord returns, right? This do ye as often as ye eat and drink in remembrance of, and you're going to do it until he what? So we know he hasn't come yet. That's why we do the ordinances. That's why we're in the church today. When he comes, will there be a need for the church? No. The church age is going to cease. And Israel is going to take center stage. And that's the whole point of the tribulation is the shift away from the church. Because where is the church? The church has been raptured into the presence of heaven. And now Israel is left there as God's chosen people. And he's going to raise up witnesses, right? 12,000 from each tribe, 144,000. It's going to be two other ones. I think it's Moses and Elijah. If you disagree, that's fine. You'll see I'm right when we get to heaven. Um, just kidding. I'm just kidding. Don't get mad. Send me hate mail. That's fine. I'll take the email. It doesn't matter who they are. That's the reality of it. They're empowered by God and the Holy Spirit of God to do extraordinary work at a time and place. Now, do you think God gave more ability to those two witnesses than he does the other 144,000? Sure he does. The 144,000 aren't going to die. These two men have to die and come back to life in front of everybody in the middle of the tribulation. Now, that's kind of crazy, but it's proof of the illustration that what he's talking about in the narrative here. God gives to people different abilities, different talents, rated on something that God views as your capability. Now, does what God thinks you're capable of and what you think you're capable of, uh, are capable of, are they different? You think so? Right? So God gives one 10 because he knows that guy can do it. He gives another five because he knows he can do it. He gives one to one guy because he knows, well, he knows he can. The question is what? Will he? He's got a free will. All three of them have a free will. All three of them can do whatever they want. They can choose to be faithful or they can choose to be unfaithful. It's kind of like today. You can choose to be faithful in a lot of things. Showing up at work. That's kind of a hard one these days, isn't it? Get people to show up at work. Be faithful to work. And you hear bosses talk about being faithful to work. We can be faithful to church. We can be faithful at home to our kids and show up, be there, minister with them and to them and for them and encourage them to grow. We can be faithful at watching our favorite football team every Sunday. We can be unfaithful to a lot of things too, can't we? And you know what? Just as we can be faithful and unfaithful in all these things, God says too that when it comes to the talent that he gives to every believer, we can be faithful or unfaithful with it as well. God's expectation for those who were purchased by his sacrifice on the cross, this is 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, is that they might glorify his name, not just in words, but also with their deeds. God wants us to not just talk about doing good things. He wants us to actually do the work. The second point I want to make this morning about this topic is this. Talents are given and they have enormous value. The talent that he gives to us has enormous value. What is the value of the gospel? What did it cost Jesus? Separation from the Father that never happened in the existence of the Godhead. The only time in history was the Father and the Son separated was because of our sin. Think about that. It broke fellowship between the Godhead because Jesus took on him our sin. It has an enormous value. By the way, the word talent here in the Greek is the word tanaton. Tanaton literally means a unit of weight. So that's why when people say this is about money, it's not. The Greek word actually says it's a unit of weight. It was used... Anybody ever seen the, uh, the unbiased judge? There's a scale that sits in front of her. Lady Justice. 
And on this one side of the scale, and there's two sides of the scale, and when they put the object that wants to be weighed on this side, what do they put on the other side? Weights, right? They put talents on the other side to find out how much it weighs, to find out how much it is. So the talent here is not a monetary talent at all. It's not a denarii. It's not a denarius. It's not a, a Roman coin or some other thing. The, the Greek word used here is the one that is for weight. And the master is weighing how faithful his servants are in his kingdom. And as he weighs them, one he gave ten weight, one he gave five weight, and one he gave one weight to. And then he expects them to go out and to produce how much? As much as they can according to their ability. So God says the guy, the servant who's worthy of a 10 weight has the ability to do what? Produce 10. We'll use pounds because we're Americans. That's what we know. So if he can produce 10 pounds of weight, he's going to produce 10 pounds. If it's five pounds, it's five pounds. One pound, it's one pound. But the object here is not the talent in it, or not the, not the, the object of what the talent is. It's just a unit of measure. So God is measuring these people in some area in which they're going to be rated. I mean, the, the bag on the other side of the scale could be a bag of money. It could be a bowl of rice. It could be anything that wanted to be weighed. And God says, I'm going to give to you 10 of this, five of that, one of this. <clears throat> so we know that two of them, two of them go out and they start their business. They, they begin to do the work of the ministry they, they, they share their talent with other people or make those talents vulnerable anyway. And they produce the same amount in which they were entrusted. So enormous value comes an enormous bounty. Likewise, upon our conversion, when we got saved, we have been given the talent of the gospel to use as our master wants us to use. To every Christian, in order to be a Christian, what must you first believe? The gospel, right? You have to believe the gospel. So in order to be a Christian, you know what the gospel is, right? Now, God says faithful stewards of the gospel will share the gospel with others, right? And if you're an unjust steward, what will you not do? You're not going to share the gospel with others. But how many Christians have the gospel? All of them. All Christians have been given the gospel. How many guys in this story got talents? All of them did. All of them received a talent. The question is, what did they do with the talent? Is going to help us to understand the point of the story. So, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, I love these. Well, actually, let me go to John 14, verses 12 through 14. I think they're on the screen here. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. And it goes on to say, whatever you ask in my name, this will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So whatever we do, it's for the glory of God. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. He'll do it as long as what? It's his will and it glorifies God. Those were the contingencies given in the verses before. So if it's not God's will, what will not happen? Won't happen. So if the gospel goes forth out of us and we are of Christ, then, then it's, it's going to be answered. It's going to go forth. And if it doesn't, then it won't. That's, the, that's, that's what the parable's suggesting to you, Okay. Now let's move on a little deeper into it. Let's go to Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Check this out. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust. By the way, the word treasure there, guess what? Is that a money term? It's a possession term. Treasure means things, objects, not necessarily just dollars. But don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But it goes on to say, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. It goes on to say, for where your treasure is, there your, 
So the things you value is where your heart's going to be. So what do you value today? Is it things? Is it possessions? Is it the gospel? How about Ephesians 2, 8, 9? We know these verses, right? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can what? And if it were works, guess what we'd brag about? Oh, Lord, my God, how great I am. I don't need you. I can do it all my own. We'd brag about it. We'd boast about it. We'd, we'd talk about how great we are, not how great he is, right? So keep this all in mind as we go through the parable now, because you're going to see as the parable unfolds, there are going to be some barking characteristics that come forth out of one guy that is vastly different than the rest. So the third thing I want you to show you in this first point here is this. The, verse, the, the verses that we just looked at, serving the master is not an option, but a daily requirement. Who chose to give their talent to these men? The master did. It wasn't like the servants came to them and said, Master, give us talent. No, the, the master came to them and said, I endow to you 10 talents, I endow to you five, and I give to you one. I want you to take care of my talent while I'm gone. Where's Jesus today, by the way? He's at the right hand of the throne of God. And he's coming again, right? We established that. So Jesus is not with us today. What do we call Jesus? He's our, our master, our savior. So the master is gone. And he's left each of his believers some sort of talent that we have that we're to invest in others so that when he returns, he gets a reward on that, right? Isn't that what you're seeing? Now what you're hearing? Let's look at the scripture. Let's let it let let's let it begin to unpack itself here now. So he said he expects a secret return on his talents, it says. And then he closes by basically saying, watch and pray. Right? Watch and pray. Uh, the end of the verse there. Um, let me scroll back up here to the verse. He says, But it, him who received one, he went and dug and put it in the ground. He made them five talents more. And he gave him two talents. And then let's jump down now to verse 19. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. He came and said, where's my, where's my stuff, right? Where's the thing I, I, I left to you to take care of? Where is it? And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, what? Well done, good and good and faithful servant. He was already a servant, wasn't he? So the adjectives added are what? Good and faithful. So what was this servant being judged on? The fact that he got talents or the fact he was honest with what he was given and faithful with how he used it. See, sometimes we get caught up on the talent, we miss the whole teaching. Remember, parables were earthly stories that had heavenly meanings. There was an earthly story, it's earthly references, but there's got to be one point of the parable. Parables had one point, and it was some sort of heavenly truth that's being fleshed out in an earthly way that we can understand. So let's go on and read more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master says to him, well done, good and faithful servant. He called him what? Good and faithful, right? You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So the first two men are described by two words. Good and faithful. Okay? Keep that in mind now as we continue on. Because the identical words, the identical phrases, the identical commendation of both servants who got five and two talents accentuates the truth that the story isn't about the, 
the quantity of the talents. Because otherwise, Jesus would have said, the one who got me 10 is better than the one who got me. But he didn't say that, did he? What did he say? Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little, I'll give you much. So whether you got five talents or 10 talents, that's not the point of the story. It's irrelevant. Other than the fact that the one that had ability to get 10 got what? And the one that had the ability to get five got... So there's something there, but they're not being compared to each other. But now something's going to shift. Because we are going to get a comparison. Now something's going to shift. When God asked each one to invest, no matter how small or how big the request was, they responded with pure joy and they pleased the master. They desired to please the master. Just like us today, no, there should be no service too big and no service too small that we're not willing to serve the Lord in. Because all of it is done for whose glory and whose good. So the size of it doesn't matter. That's not the point of the story. Let's, let's jump down to verse 24 now. Because we find out that some are going to be found to be wicked. Some are going to be found faithful. Some are going to be found wicked as well. Look at verse 24. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said. Master, I knew you to be a hard man. Reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him what? You wicked and slothful servant. Now is he still a servant? So our comparison still holds, right? Ten, he's a servant. Five, he's a servant. One, he's a servant. So the status is the same. But the difference is in how they're described. The first two get what words? Good and... The third guy gets... This, this doesn't sound as good. All of a sudden, now we do have a comparison contrast, don't we? So there's something amiss with the third guy that the first two didn't have applied to them. You wicked and slothful servant, you know that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents for to everyone who has will be given and, and he will have an abundance. But from him who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into what? In that place, there will be weeping and... Now, we're going we're gonna to get real here for about two minutes, okay? Because what was the talent? The gospel. And the talent of the gospel has been given to what servants? It's been given to all. And who's responsible for sharing the talent? Genuine followers of the master. Genuine followers of the master. You see, the third guy was called a servant. He used the word master to describe the master when he was away. But when the master was away, who did he actually serve? While the others were out working and doing the work that the servant left them, they were able to achieve what the master thought they were capable of achieving. But the one who, when the master went away, it's the old work saying, right? When the cat's away, the mice will... While the master's not here, he goes, buries the treasure so he doesn't lose it. Whose is it, by the way? It's not his. So he hides the master's talent, goes and lives for himself for the period of time in which the master's away. And then when the master, when he hears the master's coming back, what does he do? He runs, digs up the treasure and gets ready to present it to the master like he's been doing what the whole time? I've been doing the work for you the whole time. The problem is nobody wanted it. But what's the problem with that story? The one who was given 10 got what? 
Ten. The one who had five got what? Five. Obviously, there was people who wanted it. Where was the problem? It was in the transmission. The man was called what? Two words were used to describe him. Wicked and lazy, slothful. It wasn't that he wasn't capable of. He chose not to. And God isn't given to every believer. And this is one of the marks of the signs of the time that Christ is going to come. Remember, what story is right in front of this one? The parable of the fig tree. And when the fig tree produces buds, what season do you know it is? So, so when we get to a time of history in which we're seeing great things around the world take place that have biblical proportions and the very people entrusted with the talent that God gave them do not want to use it and use every excuse for why they can't use it, guess what time it is? Guess what day we're living in? The days right before the judgment. And this is another sign that Jesus is using to his disciples that says, there's going to be, all of them thought they were servants, all of them thought they were serving the master, but when the test came down, what happened? Two proved they, they were, and one came up wanting. Look again at the, the portion of scripture here. From the verses above, we, we see a great principle about the spiritual life. While using a spiritual gift leads to ministry development and growth, refusing to use our gifts don't help the kingdom. But even bigger than that, if you have the gift of the gospel and you refuse to use it, how does that help the kingdom ever? Think about it. How does that help the kingdom ever? And what master are we serving when we don't share what's been given to us? Featuring the failure of this third man, or fearing the... the, the Fearing the master. Did you see why he was afraid when the master came back? Were the first two guys afraid? Why? They did their job. They weren't afraid for the master to show up. But the third guy, he's fearful because his master's planted crops where he didn't sow. Well, wait a second. If he's getting fruit out of crops he didn't sow, who sowed them? The other two servants. They planted seed, they watered the seed, they grew the seed, and they have a reward to give back to the Lord when he comes. But the man who simply consumed, there's nothing to show. And he's fearful because the one job he was entrusted with was the one job he didn't do. This is why he's fearful. This is why he's afraid. Look with me at Matthew chapter 7, verses 22 and 23. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many works and signs and wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of what? We're living in a time in which these things are happening right before us. We're living in a time in which Global things are happening on a proportion that would make... I heard our president last week use the term Armageddon, didn't you? Think about that. Think about that. Governors and senators and and politicians are talking about World War III, the war to end all. By the way, 1,007 years. Still going to be here, I promise you. It's in the book. We're not going to be, but the world will be. But we hear even the secular world talking about biblical judgment coming. What is Armageddon? Biblical judgment. If we unleash this, it's going to unleash the wrath of God on mankind. Yeah, that's exactly what God said he's going to do at some point. Unleash his wrath on mankind. So we as Christians who have the good news, what makes the good news good? You don't have to be here when the wrath is poured out. That's the good news. The bad news is some are going to choose to do it. Just like in the days of Noah, that who was offered to get on the boat? Who got on the boat? And what happened to the rest of them? The wrath of God prevailed on them. They perished. God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. 
This is the heart of God. He's, he doesn't want to say these words, but because of the hardness of man's heart, he has to. He has to. And everybody is given the opportunity to share the good news here. Now, I'm not suggesting that salvation is not by grace through faith, but merely works as an evidence of the faith, right? Uh, for by grace are you saved by means of grace. It's God's grace that saves us. But our work should prove that we are saved. There should be fruit from a fruit tree, right? Remember when Jesus saw a fig tree and it didn't produce figs, what did he do to it? He cursed it. And what happened to the fig tree? Didn't work out well for it, right? Everybody who's ever sinned is under a curse. The curse is called sin. And until we are cured from that, we're doomed to death. We're doomed to die, just like the fig tree died. So the question this morning for us is this. Are we faithfully using our God-given gifts to build up the body of Christ in advance and to grow his kingdom? Are we doing that? Are we being intentional about sharing the hope that's within us with the people around us? Now, I'm not talking about going around and smacking people upside the head with your Bible, okay? That's not what we're talking about. But we're living in a time in which there is judgment coming. We know that. Even the world knows that right now. And people are looking for hope. Watch the news. All you see is despair. Despair. How are we going to fix global war? How are we going to fix? How are we going to fix? How are we going to fix the hunger crisis? The, 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 I mean, every sin under the sun. How are we going to fix these things? And every politician walks up with no answers. I've watched all the, article, all the ads right now, right? You see them all. And this one says that the other person said this, and this one said the other person said this, and nobody's saying what God said. Because you know what? The government's not going to speak for God. You know what? The school system's not going to speak for God. The, the world is not going to speak for God. Guess who God chose to speak for God? The church. Us. And if we are silent, then we are proof. When we are silent, we are proof that the church has finished in its usefulness and it's ready for God to pull it away from earth and to reestablish Israel as the center focus of his will in the days ahead. How many of you think the church is stronger today than it was 10 years ago? How do you think the church is stronger today than it was 100 years ago? You know what? Another proof that we are on the cusp of the time in which Jesus Christ is going to return. How do you know what the day and the signs are going to be? Well, he told us. And when we see it happening in our own presence, we see it happening around us, we know what time we live in. Our hearts should leap with joy in the fact that Jesus Christ is going to return. It should leap with joy in the fact that we know that Jesus Christ is coming again. But it should scare us to death to the, to the urge to share that not everyone's going to heaven. That should concern us because the two greatest commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. The second is like the first. Love your neighbor as you loved enough yourself. You loved enough of self. That was, that was good. You loved yourself enough that you wanted eternal life for you. Why don't we care about others around us when it comes to the same thing? You see, we have been deceived. and We're, we're busy about working for a master, but it's the master of this world. And if he can distract us and he can, he can get us caught up in all the things of this, this earth, then we're, we're of no heavenly good because we're so earthly minded. But if we get our mind on the things above and not on the things of the earth, then all of a sudden we become very useful to the master and we can multiply his talent in many, many ways in our lifetime. So the question is, how are you going to work for the Lord? It's easy to be a licensed loiterer waiting for Jesus to return. By the way, 1 Thessalonians, read the book. That's exactly what they thought happened. The rapture's coming. I'm selling the house. I'm selling everything. I'm getting a lawn chair. I'm going to look to the sky and say, even so, come Jesus. The problem is, day after day went by, and guess what? Life was still there. They still had to live because Christ didn't want to come back then. But there's going to be a day in which he does. And when, what, what day and hour is that? No one knows. But do you know what season he's coming? 
consider the fig tree. And when you see certain signs on the fig tree, you know that what season's coming? Summer. And when we look at what's going on in the world, when we look at what's going on, what the Bible says is going to happen as we get closer to the end times, and we see those two things coming together, and then we begin to look at the church, and we look at what Jesus says about his church, and we see that happening, all of a sudden, we, we don't really have to wonder, how many of you are wondering if winter's on its way? This morning when it was 32 degrees, did you wonder how far winter was away? No, you're saying, it's already... It's cold. Winter's already here. Well, I hate to break it to you. We're still two months out. Because winter comes when? After Christmas? Isn't that the official start of winter? Right before. See, I don't pay attention to that stuff. You guys do. Obviously, you do. I don't. I don't care. I know winter's coming because it's cold and I need a jacket. And if I wear shorts and a t-shirt, I get goosebumps. Middle of summer, that never happens. I get different bumps, but they're wet. Right? You know what seasons are. We know what the temperature is. We know what it's like around us right now. How far-fetched is it that Christ's return could be at any moment? And when you see the signs and you see the markings, know this. Watch, pray, and tell. Watch, pray, and tell. The true servants of God will do that. The ones who are not true, which we know they are, we just read the portion of scripture, we know there are those out there, are not going to be watching, they're not going to be praying, and they're not going to be telling because they're so caught up in the world today that they miss the master, just like the third servant did. So my question to you today is this, which servant are you? It's really only two choices. You, you can sit back, I'm the 10, I'm the 10. I'm the ten. No, there's only two choices. There's faithful and unfaithful. There's the one who did and the one who didn't. The one who could, oh wait, no, that's all three. That's all three. All three could, but there was those that did and those that didn't. So what servant are you? Where are you when it comes to using your talent that God has given you? And how have you multiplied that talent for his glory and for his purpose? I'm not here to beat you up about it. This is what it means. I'm not even like, try, I'm trying to be very sensitive in applying it because here's the reality. Who hasn't, or, or, or who has shared every time you had the opportunity, right? All of us in one way or another are unfaithful in that area, okay? To be honest. But here's the thing. What is the pattern of your life? This steward's life pattern was to live for himself and the master knew it. And when he tested them, it came forth. When we're tested, what comes out? Is it what God wants or is it what we want? That's what this parable is all about. Watch, pray, and tell. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you that we can know it. I thank you that we can study it. I thank you, Father, that you give us the interpretation of your, of your parable right here in the scripture. And Father, we want to be faithful stewards of the gospel that you've given to us. We want to be faithful, yes, with our talents and treasure and time and things like that. But, Father, we'll never be faithful in those things if we're not faithful with the gospel. And, Father, we shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to every man that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And, Father, you've entrusted your word to us. You have entrusted your gospel to us. You've entrusted your Holy Spirit to us. And, Father, may we use those three for your glory and for your will to be accomplished on earth as it already is in heaven. Father, I don't know the hearts. I don't know where people are today. I don't know what the struggles are. I don't know what the pressures are. But Father, I know that greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. And Father, when Satan is winning, it's because one of two things. We've either taken our eyes off the master and the mission that you gave to us, or we've put our eyes on ourselves and we can't see the master and the mission that you've called us to anymore. And Father, I pray that as we see in these servants that there are two. And Lord, we know that this, this third servant could have at any point stopped what he was doing, repented, and got busy doing the work, but he never did. And that's what made him an unbeliever. He, didn't, he wasn't following the master. He was following himself as master. And Father, I pray that we would not be so easily deceived. Satan knows we will worship something. And he is fully content to let us worship 
what we want to worship over what you want us to worship. So, Father, as we sang that song, Here I Am to Worship earlier, Lord, may it be true. May it not just be a song. May it be what our lives live out for your glory. And, Lord, help us this week. Help us already this week as we were challenged all through our missions conference, each one reach one. And, Father, this portion of Scripture tells us we all have that ability to reach one with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, Father, may we be good servants and may we be faithful servants with the talent that you've given to each of us for your glory. And Lord, if there's somebody here who doesn't know you as their Savior, I pray, Father, that they would see the price that you paid. Your Son, Jesus Christ, paid on the cross of Calvary. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the children of God. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For by grace are we saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is your gift to us, not of works, lest any man should boast. So, Father, help us to see that it Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart the Lord Jesus Christ, we can be saved. So, Father, if there's somebody here who's never trusted you as Savior, I pray, Lord, that they would ask somebody, ask myself or somebody else that's a member of this church or that attends this church, to ask them how they know they can go to heaven, how they know that they have eternal life. And, Lord, may we have the privilege of showing them from your word what it says about that. Father, for us Christians here, we know that we fall short, Lord. We know that we are not perfect in this area of sharing the gospel. But Father, help us to be faithful. Help us to share, whether it be a little or a big thing, help us to share the hope that's within us with meekness and fear. And Lord, may you get the glory, for yours is the kingdom, and the power and the glory forever, forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you.